At least it looks like. That's okay. Well, as we come to our text today, we're in our series right now on following the footsteps of Jesus moving towards the cross. And today I want to talk to you in that series as it continues. I want to, I want to take us from where we were last week, because last week we said, Jesus told his disciples, where I'm going, you can't go. For a short time, you can't go where I'm going. And we shared the tension that they felt last week. And I want to pick up right there. And I want to, I want to say this to you from the very beginning, that the reason Jesus told them that was that the work he had to do was a work only he could do, right? They could not die for the sins of humanity. So they couldn't follow in his footsteps because they couldn't do the thing that Jesus was about to do. It wasn't in their ability. They were already sinful people. The task that had to be done, only a sinless one like Jesus could do. And so Jesus was the one who did the work. Let's talk about that for a moment. When you think about in your life, are there things in your life that only God can fix them? He can, only Jesus uh, can help provide a solution to the challenge that you face. Now, several years ago, uh, when we bought a new house in town, it had to be renovated. It had a lot of challenges and problems, but, but one of the things was in the kitchen, right? My wife wanted a new kitchen. It was very dated, very poor. A lot of things were wrong, and, and I, I got to tell you, I would have loved to have had custom-made solid oak cabinets. It would have been great, right? But like that would have cost me more money than I almost paid for the house. It had been crazy, right? I, I, was, I was like, I can't afford that. So I did what a lot of others have had to do, right? We went to this box store, and I say the word box for a reason, because if you go to this store up there on the north side of Indianapolis, you know, it's the one with the big sign with a four-letter name. Like, it's appropriate that it's a four-letter name, because if you buy from that place, you may, well, you get where that might go. And, and, and uh, it was a frustrating thing for a lot of reasons, but that is where I bought my kitchen. I mean, I bought everything there, right? I bought all these cabinets and a total remodel, uh, for, for the kitchen space, and, and I was optimistic. You know, when you go into that store, everything is built, and it looks so good. I mean, it looks so nice, and all you see is the finished product. And, uh, and that's fantastic, but you know how that comes to you? It comes to you in a thousand boxes in the back of a semi-truck, and you're like, oh my goodness. Now, I almost made one of the greatest mistakes of my life a week before that purchase. A week before that purchase, I was sitting in the office. It was the Christmas season. It was happening in December. Uh, we were moving into that season. And uh, Benita came in, knocked on my door, and she said, Santa Claus is here to see you. And I said, what are you talking about? And sure enough, when I opened my door, there is this man in a full Santa costume, right? Big white beard, the whole nine yards. And I'm like, what? Is this like a, is someone playing a, a prank on me, right? Am I getting, getting someone doing something to me? What's happening? Are you filming this for YouTube? What's the deal? And the guy goes, hey, you're Marty Wright? I said, yeah. And then he went on to tell me who he was, introduced himself as Gary, and he said, um, I hear you're getting ready to remodel your kitchen, and I'd like to help you with that project. He said, I, I, I've spent over 30 years in the industry of trades and, and building things and doing those kinds of things. And I think I could, could give you a lot of help with the project. And he said, you don't know me, but he said, uh, years ago you did a kindness to someone in my family, and I've always wanted to do something to give back. And he said, I'm retired now, 
and I'd like, to, I'd like to help you with this project. And me, like the king of all fools, I said, you know, I really appreciate your offer, that's really kind, but that's not why I do things for people, and, and don't worry about it, I appreciate, it's a really generous offer, but I've got this. <sighs> One week passes. I am standing in my garage looking out as the people began to offload all those cabinets and boxes. And my head starts to swim. And I really am like overwhelmed. I really was. I was like, oh my goodness, Lord, what have I done? Well, a little bird had communicated with Gary that I might be in need of his assistance in spite of my words. And all of a sudden, this guy and his wife show up. And she immediately begins like, oh, you got to catalog all this stuff. you got to keep track. you got to go match it to the invoice. I mean, even that seemed overwhelming, like matching a thousand boxes to these invoices. She's like, don't worry, I got that. And she sat down with a pen and paper and started to invoice everything and make sure we got what we were supposed to get. And, and, and then this, this builder guy, right, he's like, okay, let's, I'll help you carry everything in. And we finally got everything off the truck into the house. And now I'm really overwhelmed. And he cracks open the first package just to go, okay, so, well, I've never seen these. I want to see what it's like. And, and you know what the instructions look like? There's no words. It's just pictures. There are no words except every now and then you will see one word, caution, and a picture of a guy getting zapped by electricity, like dying. Like, that's the only thing that's in the instructions. And I was like, what in the world? This is crazy. And he looked me in the eye. First one we're getting ready to do, and he says, well, do you trust me? I don't even know you. I mean, you were Santa Claus standing at my door, and now you're here. I barely know you. He says, listen, I promise. He says, I can build these things for you. I'll help you build them. And I said, well, what's it going to cost me? Nothing. Oh, this is crazy. Well, it was just one cabinet. So I said, I guess I trust you. And the thing I see there, it says, right there on the paper, another thing that is written on the little slip, do not use power tools to build this, right? Use hand tools because they don't want you to over-tighten it and break the thing. What's the first thing he does? He gets out his, his cordless drill. He adjusts, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a train wreck. And I was a nervous wreck when we assembled the first one. And his words were, he said, well, we can make this a little bit better. Oh, I thought to myself, I thought this is, going to be, this is going to be awful. But then I looked at all those packages. I said, well, you know what? If you'd like to give me a hand, I think it'd be okay if I had a, a licensed professional carpenter help me just a little bit on the project. I see you laughing, Fred. You were around for a lot of this stuff. <laughs> you know what? He was amazing. Amazing. And he did make them better. And he solved problems I could have never solved. We were kind of getting anxious to get into our new space. I told you it was close to Christmas. And we'd had Christmas morning with my son and my children. And I said, my wife, I need to go to the house and work. And uh, I had told Gary, I said, I'll try to get, a, try to get some things done. Because he'd put in so many hours. So I went to the house on Christmas morning, Christmas morning, and I got there, and there was Gary and his wife building cabinets. I was blown away. We worked all day long. I worked with Santa Claus all day long on Christmas Day, <laughs> building cabinets in my house. I am so thankful that I did. 
I learned a lot of things about him, first of all. A neat man, a devout Catholic, a member of the Franciscans, just by his very nature, loved to help people. Appreciated that. We talked a lot of theology. He talked to me about one time he thought about entering the priesthood. Loved all those conversations I had with him. But you know what else I love? He made my kitchen so special. Like, I was so proud to show it to my wife. And you know if I had built it, I would not have been proud <laughs> to show it to my wife. Hear this. Even if we think we are capable of doing things, there are problems and challenges that we will face in life that are bigger than we are. And some problems are so big, even another human being can't help us solve the problem. There are problems in our life and challenges that we face that only God can help us through them. He's the only one. And that's why he said to the other disciples, you can't do this part. You're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to let me do the work. The Apostle Paul gives an interesting insight into this in a letter that he wrote to Titus. And if you have your Bibles, you might turn to Titus chapter 3. And for a few minutes, let's just look at this text together. Some words that he writes here. And in the heart of this, we'll get to this part where he, he really talks about this idea of Jesus doing the work that's too great for us to do. Now, he starts off here, and he gives us first a reminder of some things. Paul's, he's instructing Titus, who's a relatively new Christian, how to help lead a relatively new church. So he's giving him some practical teaching. And, and, and so we're going to read that because it's a good practical teaching, and God's Word is always helpful to read. So it may be that the part of the sermon today that strikes you most happens to be this reminder that he gives to them. And if that's the case, praise God. We'll start in verse 1. Paul tells Titus, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities. Remind the people to be obedient. Remind the people to be ready to do whatever is good. Remind the people to slander no one. Remind them to be peaceable and considerate. Remind them to show true humility towards all people. Another reminder. This is the one we're not so happy about. At one time, we too were foolish. We too were disobedient. We also were deceived and enslaved. Enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. In fact, many of us lived in malice, in envy. People hated us and we hated others. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. The work we can't do ourselves. And this next part is really, really important. He saved us not because of righteous things that we had done. He didn't save us because we had done so many good things. Unlike Gary, who came because of some nice thing that happened in the past, that's not why Jesus showed up to help us. He did it in spite of things. It would be like him coming, you once really hurt me and someone in my family, but I'm here to help you today. It's more incredible than what happened to me, much more incredible and much more important than cabinets in a kitchen. 
Because the work that Jesus did makes for a beautiful space for eternity. And it's incredible. So he says, remember, you used to be this. But the kindness and love of our God, kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, and He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. And this is the work that Jesus did. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, that's a huge word, to be made right, just as if I'd never sinned, by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. His words are that there is renewal, that there is hope, that there is help, that there is opportunity and this is the big one. No assembly required. You can't do this thing, right? It's not something that you can do. It's something that Jesus has already done. He's already done the hardest work. Now, unlike that manual that says you've got to do the work yourself, he says, I'll do the work for you. In fact, Jesus talks about how we join him in things, and, and to help us understand that he has done the lion's share, he says this in Matthew 12, 28, come to me, come to me and I will give you rest. I am gentle, I am humble, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Join me, I'll do the hard part, I'll do the heavy lifting, I'll help you through, just come to me, come to me. It's not about the steps that we take, friends. It's about the steps that he took. The steps that he took on his journey to the cross. The steps that he took to go where we couldn't go, to do for us what we couldn't do for himself. There's a reason that we're going to celebrate so much on Easter Sunday, because it's, it's so important what he's done for us. It is the gospel message. It is the good news that Jesus loved us enough to die in our place so that we could live. That is the gospel. And praise God, we have it. Praise God, we have it. Now, we often think it's the people who do good things that deserve good things from God. We think that sometimes. It's harder for us when we deal with people who don't do good things, people who things that don't seem very nice. I don't know how long God will give me in ministry and life. None of us knows that. I have several friends. Bill Weaver, you're watching right now at a nursing home in Seymour. You're facing a big surgery this week. I'm praying for you, and I love you. And it reminds me, Bill, we don't, we don't know. We just don't always know what life holds for us. So we want to try to be faithful. I've tried to be faithful in ministry at Ogleville over these last 25 years. And it's put me in some unique situations from time to time. <laughs> One of the things happened early on in my ministry. I'd been here just a few years. And in the old days, we had like a, a part-time secretary that was here like 10 hours a week. 
And then I was here the rest of the time by myself, which put me in some awkward situations sometimes. Like the one I faced one day when I was here at the office by myself in the afternoon. And in walked this young woman, probably early 20s, who was from another state. She was in town visiting a relative, but she was facing a moral crisis. And her crisis was that she was making gobs of money as a dancer at a gentleman's so-called club. But she had a moral quandary, and she said, I, I don't think this is right, but man, I'm making such good money. What do you think God would say about that? <laughs> I'd say, well, I think God would say that's not what his best plan for you is, that he could provide for you in other ways. And I think you should try to see how you could get out of this world into a better place because I think that this world can destroy you pretty quickly. But she didn't know me. I didn't know her. And although we left in an okay place, I didn't see that person again for over five years. There had been something that had happened in her family that had brought her back into our community I was at the church. Once again, it's late in the afternoon. I think Robin or Benita might have been around at that point. Person comes in and says, I'd like to see the pastor. She comes into my office. I had no idea who this was. If I hadn't been told by this person that it was the same person that had come before, I would not have recognized them. In fact, it didn't look like someone who was still in their 20s. It looked like someone who had aged well into their 30s or 40s. Those last five years had been horrific, filled with drugs and violence and abuse. All kinds of horrible things had happened. The conversation was different. Now the conversation was, I don't think God can forgive me for the things I've done. Again, friend, God's got a better plan for you. He can help you. He is the answer. We prayed, we talked, the person went back out of state. Another decade passed. I've been here a long time. <laughs> person showed up again. Looking a little better. Not great, but better. Been in rehab. Met somebody. Trying to get my life on the right track. Will you pray for me? Sure. We talked, we prayed. Didn't know where that was all going to end up. At least seven or more, eight more years have passed. This year, early in the year, I was out shopping, doing things, and this person walked up to me, had on a professional business suit, a woman's business suit, hair immaculate, looked like they were in the best place ever. person says to me, Pastor Marty, just want you to know, I've been attending a church, I've been there for the last four years, I've been sober and clean for five years, I now teach Sunday school at my church, and uh, God has really done a work in my life. The same person. Over 20 years span to get the work done. 
but God done the work. Person said, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I know I should probably come to your church, but I feel like God's already got me somewhere else. And, and I said, that's great. God didn't do a work in you so you'd be at my church. It's not my church anyway. It's his. But, but he did a work in you because he loves you. There are things that only God can do. Do you believe that? There is work that only he can accomplish. And there is transformation that only he can do in our lives. What did he say again in Titus? He said this. The kindness and love of God our Savior has appeared. He saved us. Not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. When he poured out on us, which he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, who by his grace we have become justified, heirs, having hope of eternal life. So the question for you this morning is, is a very simple one. Are you trying to fix your own kitchen and to fix your own life? Or are you willing to let the one who made you, who created you, solve the problems that you face? This morning, I'm asking you to turn things over to Jesus. If you're already a believer and there's a tension in your life or in a relationship or a struggle, I want you to turn that over to Jesus. If it's a matter of health and you don't know what's going to happen next, turn it over to Jesus. And if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian yet, I'm begging you, give your life to Jesus. Let him do his salvation of bringing work in your life. He's the one who brings peace. He's the one who brings hope. He's the one who brings life. He's the one who brings opportunity for eternity. Only him. Why does he do it? Well, you know, the world around us gives up on people pretty fast. I'm pretty sure that the woman who came to see me after five years in that industry knew full well how quickly the world gives up on you. And I am certain that most people in her family, the people who knew her, gave up on her. But you know who never gave up on her? Jesus Christ never gave up on her. And he's never going to give up on you. And whether you take the opportunity today to make him your Lord and Savior or not, he's going to come back and ask you again tomorrow. And next week... Not because he wants to badger you and make you feel bad. Because he wants to save you. He wants to save you from problems in this life and from our greatest problem, the thing in the life to come. But you got to do one simple thing. you got to humble yourself enough to say, I need your help. You see, I could have told my friend Gary, as I tried to do, no thanks, I've got this. 
That would have been a disaster. And sadly, I know there are some of you who still are saying that to him. You're close, but you're still saying, Jesus, no thanks. I've got this. Friends, I don't want you to have those next five years that are horrific. He doesn't want that for you. But hear this. Apart from him, in the end, we can't do anything. But with them, all things are possible. If you're ready and you're willing, let this be the day you give everything in your life over to him as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation.